0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth for security now is provided by aol radio at aol.com podcasting this is security now with steve gibson Episode 101 for July 19, 2007. Are you human? Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds On Site, looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds On Site can help. Visit IWanttoBeANerd.com. Time to talk about security, everybody's favorite subject. Well, maybe not everybody. <laughs> well, certainly, what about one hundred and forty some fifty thousand, something like that? Yeah, all yeah. the people listen to this podcast anyway. Uh, we're so glad you are here. Steve Gibson is here from GRC dot com, the able uh, man behind Spinrite, the uh, disk recovery and maintenance utility that we talk about all the time, and uh, all those free uh, programs like Securable. You know, somebody told me we're going to talk a little just uh, just a little bit about Are You Human, which will be fun, but. Somebody told me that uh one antivirus uh
1: it's AVG Leo AVG. and it is driving us out of our minds. It's a
0: false positive, right?
1: Of course. And and it it has happened with my security stuff from time to time that AV software will will get tripped over my programs because very often the the same sort of code sequences right. that I'm using to to check something about security or to turn something off or on, that'll naturally be the same sort of references that malware would have for doing the, the same sort of thing but for its own malicious purposes. So it's it's incredibly annoying. Greg has been getting my support guy has been getting flooded with literally hundreds of reports. Hey, you got a virus insecurable or, you know, AVG pops. It's like, yeah. no, uh, no, yeah, yeah, I've
0: only gotten one. And of course, that's what I said. These are these are false positives. They, they do. It's not just Steve's software. It happens in other programs, too. And uh, antivirus companies do their best to avoid them. But there's inevitably some overlap. And that's what happens.
1: So for what it's worth, if, if we have any listeners who have, have and use AVG and get a false positive for Securable, I would love it if you could put some pressure on AVG to like fix their program, their, their you know their virus patterns to remove Securable from their list through whatever means they have for doing that, I because think we probably have a very high percentage of AVG users listening to the show. I don't Great. know if that's because they're cheapskates
0: <laughs> or what. <laughs> well, no, smart. <laughs> smart. They don't want to spend that's... money on an antivirus, and uh, AVG's good enough. They know what to do to keep themselves clean anyway, so that's all they need. Exactly. <laughs> that makes sense. Um. So, uh, good. I'm glad we got that out of the way, and uh, let's get a couple of uh, more letters from the mailbag. Do you have any uh, addenda too? We should uh, talk about. Before I we do. I wanted
1: humanity? to announce since we're going to be now doing our, our, we're we're getting a little more complex with our mathematical formulas, Leo. We're going to have the, oh, the mod four plus two episodes. Okay, are, are going to be mailbag episodes. That's next episode. Then that's exactly that'll be 102. Will be the first mailbag mailbag episode. I wanted to. Give people an alternative way, an easier way for sending stuff to me. At the moment, all I have ever talked about is having the web form down at the bottom of the Security Now page. Right. Actually, however, that web form has always simply done an email to securitynow@grc.com, with no exclamation point. Right. So anyone who wants to just, you know, send feedback about Security Now issues... You can write to Security now at GRC.com and it'll come right to me. I did the web form initially because I really wanted to stress that people were welcome to be completely anonymous, and of course, a web form rather than someone's web browser I mean, sorry, rather than someone's email client is, a, is an easier way to anonymize yourself, which I wanted to promote. Um, but for people who don't care, and if we of course, have lots of people who are you know happy to acknowledge their listenership. Um, you can certainly just use your email client and write to securitynow Security at grc dot com. Securitynow at grc dot com. All right. Okay. That'll that'll qualify you for the mailbag, but no guarantees. Exactly. All right. Um, okay. Something else very cool happened in the last week. It well something I start started with something not so cool about a, about two weeks ago. I was at Starbucks using a, my T Mobile account and my laptop to piddle around the net doing whatever I was doing. And I, I think I did something with PayPal that upset it. And <laughs> because oh, dear. L- later that day or the next day or something, I tried to do something from home and it said, Oh, we've got, we flagged your account for alert status. Uh, we think somebody was trying to hack into your account. So you have to jump through these nine hoops in order to, and it was about nine, I mean, it was like, oh, what is all this? I mean, I had to go through all kinds of, you know, rigmarole to, to pacify them. Of course, I got freaked out that maybe somebody really was trying to hack my account, but I looked at the date and I said, wait a minute, you know, I think yesterday at, at Starbucks, I did this, you know, I was the one that was quote, hacking my own account when, you know, just who knows why, what, what, what I did to set it off. But, The point is, I discovered that PayPal has full um, multi-factor authentication. I now have exactly one of these cool six-digit numeric token pieces of hardware from SecureID. Get this. For $5. I should do that right now. Everybody should do that. I wanted to let everybody know who uses PayPal that you can get a secure key from PayPal. If you just log into your account, over on the left, you'll see secure key. That's great. It only $5. You know, I get, a,
0: we use PayPal for donate, And I get every week or so, somebody says, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't trust PayPal. I've had bad experiences and so forth and so on. But I have to say, PayPal especially since eBay bought them has completely turned around and refocused. And I, I think people should give them a little second chance. Well, I, I have things heard, like this. I mean, very impressive.
1: Well, it's very cool. Now I have heard of, as I'm sure you have too, Leo of horror stories with PayPal. They, they, they have sort of the flavor of, well, everything's great until it goes bad. And when right. they go bad, it goes really bad. Right. Um, so, you know, who knows, but I, but for pay, people who use PayPal, who are listeners to security now, who, who care about the security of, you know, their use of computers, I wanted to say, Hey, for five, well, I mean, for, first of all, you don't even have to authorize the key. You can buy it for $5 and just have this very cool dongle, which <laughs> I mean it's neat. it's neat it's got a now, button. I'm wonder- I'm looking at my PayPal account. I'm wondering
0: if that's because you had this problem because this is on the front page of PayPal. I don't see
1: it. No, you have to log into your account. Yeah. And then over on the left-hand column, it uh, says secure key. I don't have I th- that. I think that's what it says. I don't have that. So I
0: wonder if that's because at some point you uh, I don't think so. I got the sense that it that it was I I'm want trying to think. One. If- well, let me do a search. I'm on the new PayPal Maybe if I go back to the original PayPal site, it'll be that way. You know, we use PayPal quite heavily. We have a lot
1: of money going through our PayPal account, and I'd really
0: very much like to secure it in any way we
1: can. I got got the strong sense that anybody who wants to do this can. And as I was saying, you don't have to follow through and and attach it to your account. You could just have it as this very cool secure (laughs) ID dongle for $5. And so you press the button. It gives you a six-digit number. And exactly as we were talking about, every 30 seconds, if you it, it it will lock that number on the display. But if you press the button to turn it off, and then press it again to turn it back on, and if you've crossed another one of these 30-second boundaries, you get a completely different six digits. Then once you add this to your account, you know they mail it to you. It takes about 10 days, a week to 10 days. You then. Um, uh, you know, ba- ba- Basically, you do it, you use it to authenticate yourself to prove that you have logged on and you received the key. And then the way it works from then on is you simply append those six digits to your password. Wow. So it, wow. it creates an always varying, never the same one twice, and a you know, a a multi-factor authentication because you have to actually have this in your possession. And once you've done that, then if you lose it or don't have it with you or whatever, then you got to jump through even more hoops to prove to them that, you know, you are who you are because they want to make sure that, you know, again, that your account is hardened against anyone taking advantage of that. Well, that's cool. I'm glad to see that. but still still can't find it? No, I'll find it. Shoot, I think it's there somewhere, so. <laughs> I believe you. I'll okay. find it. It'll be here somewhere. Okay, also, yes. uh, we have to talk about a book you turned me on to. Uh-oh.
0: <laughs> you know, it's fun, because Audible's sponsoring, it by the way, Audible is not sponsoring Security Now for one reason only, and because I said they couldn't, because we already have two commercials on Security Now, and I never want to have more than two on any podcast. Uh, they very much wanted to be on Security Now, because they know we talk about books all the time. Um but that's one of the, the, I think, one of the most fun things about this Audible thing is that we've been talking about books on all of the podcasts, and and I know which one you're going to talk about, and that was one of our early picks, and it's just well, a great. So you liked uh, it.
1: Oh, well, I'm not through with it yet, Leo, but I am really having fun with this book. Um, first of all, I had a couple experiences. First, okay, the, the book is titled On Intelligence, mm-hmm. On Intelligence is the title, by Jeff Hawkins, mm-hmm. who... As a palm follower, as I am, um, you know, I I knew the name immediately and I can't wait to get his new palm gizmo, the folio, because I think that's, I think for me, that'll be a really nice add on to my trio. But I've been a palm user forever. Jeff is the, design the inventor of graffiti the designer of the whole family of palm things he then created handspring where of course the trio was born and then that all merged you love your trio too (laughs) of my trio (laughs) yeah so okay so it turns out that 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 jeff hawkins has a strong has 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 always had for his whole life a strong interest in brain function how the brain works well Nobody knows it but I have always had that too. I mean I went back in high school I read everything I could about neurons and synapses oh, really? and axons and all that. And and so what's what's I mean what gives me goosebumps is that here he is who uh, you know basically an engineer, a computer guy who's been successful in Silicon Valley who has now founded a company, I think it's Numenta. Yeah. Um to work on creating intelligent machines. And and so this book and I, and the reason I'm talking about it is I can even though I'm not finished with it I'm about I think maybe somewhere between a third and a halfway through what I've read already allows me to commend it to our re- to our listeners. Um it is just riveting. Yeah. Um so if anyone is interested in in sort of having a, a contemporary, easy to read, really engaging look at what we currently know about intelligence and how our brain functions at the at, at the cellular level, and from Jeff's standpoint, you know why it is that AI has failed, um, how things function. As I was saying to you, Leah, before we began recording, I'm. I mean, I I almost don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to be a spoiler for what what the book has in it. But I just I really really like the book. So I, I, I it's funny too because I I have it in in both Sony e-reader and in Palm ebook and i have a physical copy that i got because i have a friend actually it was this, my, my second employee at grc who's a gifted hardware engineer and and software guy who who ended up leaving because i just didn't have enough to keep him busy he, you know and i'm, I'm glad because i you know kicked him out of the nest and uh, i i was the first job he ever had and he and i had actually worked together years before on the light pen stuff oh, he did some he did yeah. some light pen work for me um And uh, anyway, I'm going to have lunch with him and give him this book and probably seriously damage his life. (laughs) Why is that? Because he's going to he's going to read this and he's going to have a hard time remembering what it was he was doing before he started reading this book. I mean, (laughs) I know him. Is he in this field? Yeah 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 actually he went into gaming where he's won awards and started companies and sold them and 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 done a lot uh his name is Steve Rank um he's just one of the brightest sharpest neatest engineers I've ever known and 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 Steve will I mean uh, it's going to be hard for him not to have to go build an intelligent Good brain. Good after. Oh, I know. I know. And in fact, you know, that's sort of what what Jeff is is promoting and soliciting. Yeah. You get to as, the
0: end of the book. One of the things he says at the in the epilogue is if you are a high school student reading this, please
1: make this your field. This is where we want to go. We need this. Yeah. I mean, there is the the book is just so full of stuff. One of the cool things is, you know, I mean, we all have a brain pretty much some of us uh, and <laughs> some and don't <laughs> there there's enough new stuff in here that as i'm reading it i'm thinking oh yeah, yeah i never really thought about it that way but that's exactly right and i mean again i i it's just on intelligence is the book you can get it as we know from you, Leo, in audible format, if you want to listen to it, you can get it in Sony Reader format. If you want to play with the e-ink reader that you and I are both using, or in Palm, or you know e-reader, you can run. You you can read it on Windows because, of course, there is e-reader for Windows, and in and the 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 physical paper format is is also accessible. I should mention that I I got it in also back on my Palm because I wanted to try falling back from the Sony to the palm that i was using so extensively for years and i decided i can't oh I interesting really, oh, yes interesting. i i was I, first. I, well first i first I, I picked it up on the sony and i found myself frustrated by the low contrast of that screen i know i know and that's that's the problem They've with really got with, to do something about that yeah that's the problem and it's like Gosh darn it! You know, I mean, uh, the Palm screen is just vivid black and white, and of course you have a backlight, so it's really bright white. Because because right. I read inverted, I I read white text on a black screen, mm-hmm. on, on on the Palm, and and love that. But the problem is now I can't have a smaller screen. Oh, interesting. You know, the yeah. the e-ink, the Sony screen is so much nicer and more page size that. That it's even worth tolerating the lower resolution. I'm sorry, the, the lower contrast right. of of that medium the contrast
0: is bugging me though. I have to agree with you. I can't yeah. wait till they get a paper white screen. Um, yeah, I, then that's a product that uh, I would. I mean, already right. It's a good product, and I've been reading a lot of books on it. But I just my eyes as I get older, I need more contrast. I really. That's don't. not
1: just your age, Leo. Well, actually, I guess maybe we're the same age. Know. So. We're the same age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we um, maybe younger people don't have this issue. I don't know. I did notice also when I went back to Sony to poke around to see whether on intelligence was available from their from the Sony Connect site mm-hmm. that the, that the price has fallen on the e-reader. I okay. think it was three something, and it's now two ninety-nine. Yeah, maybe they think it a might have coming. Huh? It might have been three forty-nine. Anyway, it, was, it has had a price reduction, yeah. which to me sort of speaks of oh, uh, maybe they weren't selling so well. Yeah. No, I'm
0: sure they're not. Uh, despite how much we've talked about it. Yeah, uh, It just, it's not, it's too expensive. It's not quite the technology it needs to be yet. Yep. But we're early adopters, you know.
1: Okay, um, mailbag. We got, I got two pieces of interestingly related mail. Remember Justin Gerard, the neat 13 year old kid who had somebody from an outside service come in to fix his computer and discovered that they were using Spinrite, And I don't remember if he was going to try to get his dad to buy him a copy or what, but, um, he, I, I found a note from him saying, Hey, Steve, I found out that Nintendo has partnered with Astaro to provide. What? Yep, optional to, to provide optional content filtering via a proxy for the Nintendo DS web browser. Oh, just bad. thought you might like to know, and uh, and apparently Justin, by the way, has a podcast called Gamers Edge Podcast. Oh, I know that podcast. Oh, okay. well, that's just yeah. I'll be darned. All right, and uh, and then we also got a note from um, Terry. It looks like Terry Sheltra of Charlottesville, and 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 um, who writes? I just thought you'd like. Um, I would share something interesting with you, t- with the two of us about the new Nintendo DS browser. Included in the package is an insert that offers content filtering provided by none other than huh. Astaro free of charge. Since they're a big sponsor for your podcast, I thought I'd share the news with you.
0: So uh, that
1: wouldn't mean that they put Astaro on the DS no it would mean that there's somewhere there's a proxy server that nintendo is offering Got that it. people can can route their web browse, their their nintendo ds web browsers through and astaro is the content filtering and protection technology that nintendo chose makes perfect sense that's what i choose
0: <laughs> that's but of course i'm a little biased Well, that's good. Thank you for that email. Maybe this would be a good time for me to uh, mention Astaro then and explain what Astaro is. It is, of course, a great sponsor of this podcast. We're very grateful to them. For more than a year, they've been bringing you security now. Uh, And for many more years than that, they've been bringing you the great Astaro Security Gateway, a complete set of security technologies mixing best-of-breed open source and commercial software, giving you the ultimate in a box about the size of a router you get you get everything email security including anti spam anti phishing dual virus protection for email you get transparent encryption at the server at the astaro gateway so your users don't know anything about it they're receiving and sending encrypted email with pgp or s mime and and they don't they don't even know have to know anything about it which is amazing you of course get web filtering that's the that's what nintendo's using which includes content filtering and antivirus for the web anti spyware Instant messenger and peer-to-peer control. Obviously, you know, you could turn that on or off. Uh, Also, of course, you'd expect the standard network protection is including firewalls, remote access, VPN using SSL now, by the way, um, as well as PPTP and uh, L2TP uh, and intrusion protection. I mean, basically, (laughs) this is a complete set of security tools available to you. Now, if you're in business... I want you to call 877, the number four, Astaro, to make an appointment for a free trial in your business. You'll see why this is so great. 877-427-8276, 877-4ASTARO. And as we've mentioned before, uh, you can get this absolutely free as a non-commercial user, as a home user. Uh, They're offering the home use package and the V7 license, including all the subscriptions and updates, the anti-spam subscriptions, everything. I mean, this is what a great way to set up uh, a beige box that that gives you all these same features absolutely free. The only limit is 10 IP addresses or 10 users and a thousand concurrent connections. So pretty much, I mean, I can't imagine any home user needing more than that. Now, people have said, well, where do we get this, Leo? It's not clear. Uh, th- th- there is a link on the front page, but this is the easiest way to do it. Astaro.com slash security now. They've made a page just for us.
1: Oh, very cool.
0: Yeah, makes it, <laughs> it only took me two years to get Steve to do that. And, <laughs> and Astaro actually moved in 18 months. So I feel like I'm making progress. dot com slash security now. If you're a non-commercial user, you can use this absolutely free. You've got to check it out. Astaro, we thank you so much for your support of security now. A-S-T- a-R-O dot com. That's, it's so cool that Nintendo's using that. I just think that's uh, really interesting. What a great endorsement, really.
1: Well, and we, we have heard, I know I have seen a lot of people in the GRC news groups who have, have picked up on Astaro from our mentioning it. And they've had positive experiences. So I yeah. you know I feel very comfortable oh, having Astaro as a sponsor. Yeah, it's a great product.
0: All right, so that's the uh, mailbag out of the way. Remember, again, we're going to do...
1: Almost. I got one, oh, one last more. little blurb right. here. A um, uh, uh, David Lee, who's uh, an MCP small business specialist in Ottawa, Canada, he wrote to me with a little fun blurb about SpinRight, and I bring it up because he asked two questions. One of which I hear a lot, so I wanted to answer it on behalf of you know our listeners who are now SpinRight users in case you encounter this. He says, "Well, his, his subject was hello, Steve and Leo, another testimonial to hitch to your belt." And he said, "I've been an owner of SpinRight for about a year now." and have used it a few times to improve performance on my machines, but until yesterday had not had any catastrophic failures from which to recover. Enter the BSOD. uh You know, the blue screen of death. Upon rebooting after installing Adobe 8.1 Reader Update my laptop provided me with the gut-wrenching unbootable drive message. Aye. Neither safe mode nor last good configuration boot options would work either. Knowing I had spin right in my, quote, back pocket, unquote, however, gave me some immediate comfort in the knowledge there was a better than good chance it would get me back up and running. I ran it on level two, and 45 minutes later, Friends, on my one-year-old Fujitsu 80-gig, two-and-a-half-inch drive, it was stuck on an obviously bad area of the drive. With a couple of red U's on the screen, I had confirmation the issue was Mm hardware-related, as I had suspected. I left it to run overnight, and am writing to you this message from my now-working laptop. So, you know, success. Thank you. And then he says, two questions for you. First. What is the best practice for replacing drives that exhibit unrecovered
0: data errors? That's a great question, because we talk about recovering these drives and say, everybody says, oh, we're working along
1: and it's just fine. But it always makes me queasy if they had a problem before. Should you keep using that drive? Exactly. He says, in your Spinrite episode on Security Now, this was not addressed, i.e., should a drive that has had these types of errors be replaced ASAP or, with the sectors now marked as bad, is it likely safe to continue using using for the foreseeable future? Right. Anticipating a couched response to this, he says... <laughs> <laughs> couched! Couched! And there's a little smiley face here. What would you do if it was your hard drive, he okay, said. no couching, Steve. I want you to say it out. Sing it out. Well, there are... There are a couple reasons that Spinrite will give you a red U, right. um, or I, or I, and, and we can divide it into two categories. First of all, the U means that that no matter what Spinrite tried to do, and I mean and it will sit there and crunch on a sector for a long time, it was never able to completely recover the sector's data. Now, that can be a defective sector, which which should normally not surface on the drive, or it could be one that was miswritten, for example. If the drive lost power during a write, then, that, then you will, nor- you will you know, cause a, a, an unrecoverable sector to be created. Because oh, really? is it a head but- crash or well no it's not a head crash it's just that it's in it never had a chance to finish writing the sector and update the error correction code the ecc which is sort of like a very powerful checksum and so it just sort of half wrote the sector and so no matter wh- wh- when you then run spin right over it no matter what spin tries it just it cannot get this sector recovered it says look i you know there's nothing i can do to tell you what this data is supposed to be because in this case it was you know only half written so that doesn't necessarily mean that the drive is having a problem now another non power failure event can occur which is that in general defects grow over time and uh as anyone who's looked at the videos that that you and i and that that i and and patrick norton made where i was on um yours and 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 and, uh screensavers uh tv shows showing spin right work drives are doing data recovery sort of silently all the time so-called error correction code is being employed constantly because the data densities have gotten so high on our drives that it's no longer the case That sectors read perfectly. So what happens is the drive is making corrections just because there's just the the density is so high, but the drive is watching how long the error bursts are. That is, if it's a few bits, the drive's like, okay, fine, this sector's still okay. But over time, these tend to grow. And so what happens is at a certain point, a threshold is reached where the drive becomes uncomfortable with its continuing future ability to to perform on-the-fly correction of this sector. And so what it'll do at that point is it will get a correct read that is correct the, the errors in the sector and autonomously remove that sector from service swapping a spare into its place and then rewrite the data that it correctly read back onto the the swapped in spare sector so what can happen if you if you don't allow the drive to see given sectors often enough you haven't given the drive the chance to recognize that some sectors are approaching their it's it's tolerance of its ability to correct them, which is one of the reasons that just running SpinWrite at level two, which is a relatively quick read pass, essentially what that does is that gives the that it, and that forces the drive to read all of its sectors. And even though SpinWrite won't show you that it did anything good, and this is one of the sort of the dilemmas, the mixed blessings of of using Spinrite, is people will run it all the time and they'll go, well, you know, I've never had a drive give me any problems and I run SpinRight every few months, but I don't know that it's really doing any good. Well, one of the reasons they've never had a problem is that SpinRight is actually letting the drive assess its own sectors and swap them out before they become problematical. So if someone didn't do that, they might find that SpinRight would show them a red uncorrectable sector because the sector had gone too long without being read. So the drive wasn't able to say, whoops, this is getting to be problematical. I can still read it while I, but, but barely. So while I can, and I, while I can read it and correct it, I'm going to swap in something that's in better shape. So that's all sort of going on behind the scenes. And then the, the, the final, the, the third and final problem is, drives can run out of spares and at that point if you actually have a defect which which is not readable and the, there's no spares left for the drive to use it has no choice but to just say uh sorry here's here's a problem sector and and I'm out of spares and that does happen so at that point you certainly would want to say bye-bye to that drive. Okay, but how can you tell that? Well, running Spinrite a second time after you've had see if um, once Spinrite gives up on a sector, marks it as 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 uncorrectable, shows it that way. It will then rewrite the sector with whatever data it was able to recover. That's why I don't give up easily. I try two thousand times. Well, I I, don't, I and I and the guys of Spinrite uh 2000 times and and use a, every trick in the book j- uh, m- moving the head different distances in each direction and then coming back at it from from so, so that I'm arriving in slightly different positions do all kinds of things to really really try to read that sector when I finally can't after 2000 attempts I will rewrite the sector with what I was able to read it, and that process fixes it's unreadability and then allows the drive to maintain it from there on. But if you then run spin right a second time and you've still got a problem, that means the drive is no, was not able to even correct from a rewritten, correctly written sector. And it's time to take the drive out of use before it really goes belly up.
0: So you didn't couch too bad on that one. The, the bottom line is that there is some slack in all drives. And some room for error. But when it gets to the end of that rope, that's when you have to replace the drive.
1: Yeah, actually, I would say a lot of slack and, yeah. and a room for a lot it's of normal. error. There's no drive made that doesn't have some problems. Not anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 And then his second question, which I got a kick out of, was, why hasn't anyone bought your company? Security now, you mean? No, no. Bought GRC or bought Spinrite. Or, and he says, a la the old Chrysler commercials, oh, yeah. quote... I was I like so someone... impressed, I bought the company. <laughs> I bet you you've had offers. Well, Peter Norton uh, offered me, you know, offered to buy SpinRight shortly after I created it, about a year and a half later, I think. He said, uh, Steve, you know, I've got the Norton Utilities. Everybody I talk to just wants me to add SpinRight capability to our stuff. Um, I want to buy it from you. And the best thing I ever said to Peter was, uh, no thanks, Pete. Yeah. It's, so, this, is your, this is your life's work yeah so far sell
0: your life's work so far on the other hand everybody has a price (laughs) somebody came along (laughs) and offered you a billion dollars you might take it yeah yeah i'd still do the podcast with you however i I would hope so because at that point you could do it from your yacht (laughs) in the caribbean exactly (laughs) and i create my own satellite network so that we had had low latency all right let's get to the meat and potatoes of our uh, discussion today and I forgot what we we're talking about. Are you human? <laughs>
1: oh, that's right. That's right. Are you right. human? What I love about this is is that this is a, a type of authentication other than what we've talked about before. They well, of course we've we've really clearly covered the issue of are you a specific human? That is, you know, the multi-factor authentication like what we were talking about earlier with PayPal and so forth was, you know, was Which human are you? And so what I like about this is that this is not who you are. This is, are you a who? (laughs) Okay, are you a who?
0: Are you a who? Sounds like a Dr. Seuss story somehow. Exactly. It's not who you are.
1: It's are Are you you a a who? who? And so, and, uh, and and that's important because, well, what we've had of course, is the rise of the internet robots, yeah you know back in the early days of the internet, there were just people you know using web browsers and using services and things. But what began to happen was there, that we we introduced probably I guess the, the, the first real instance was free email accounts. it became it became clear, that it was possible to do browser-based email, where companies like Yahoo, who may have been the pioneer of 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 web mail, they said, "Hey, um, you can create an account, and it'll be, you know, you know, Susie Jones at Yahoo.com or whatever, just to make up a name. I hope Susie forgives me from using her email She's address. She's probably
0: pretty used to it by now.
1: Ah, uh, with a name I hope. like that." And so, so that hit, everyone said, hey, this is cool. Then I don't have to be at my computer. I don't have to use an email client, any web browser anywhere. I can log on to my email account and you know check my mail and send stuff. Well, the bad guys, the, 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 the spammers said, yes, and so can we. We can create endless email accounts at Yahoo with random names or made up names or names composed of words and dictionaries or whatever and use it to send our spam because who would know that you know that we were spam and that way you know the, the beauty is this was back in in the early days where, where where we had the blacklisting of spam servers so the problem was those servers that were blacklisted could not could no longer, Send spam w- w- with sufficient reliability because they were becoming known, but by but by using Yahoo sort of as their third party, as their intermediary, using the web interface, they were able to cause Yahoo to be a spam forwarder, and so that's what happened. So well, and then, and then of course, even more recently, now with all of this Web 2.0 stuff, now there's so much more. This whole notion, and we've talked about it with regard, for example, to uh, um, cross-site scripting vulnerabilities and various problems associated with accepting input from users. Now, you know, the web is much more bidirectional than ever before with Facebook and MySpace and all the blogging that's going on. And one of the newest trends you see are, are articles online that then want feedback from readers they they have you know posting comments at the end of articles and 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 so what's happened then is that if high-profile sites like you know nbc and abc and cnn and so forth that is sites that are highly ranked in search engines spammers will now that is to say website spammers will want to put their own links into blogs and into comments because then search engines will say, oh, look, here's a highly ranked site that has a reference to this this other site, which turns out to be a yucky site that people really don't want to know about. But that's a way of of them elevating themselves in search engine rankings. So, you know, it's the same story as like virus, antivirus and, you know, malware, anti-malware, spyware, anti-spyware. There are you know useful services that have unfortunately been abused by people on the dark side who have said hey you know we can pretend to be human and abuse the system in various ways so but they can't ha- prove that they're human if you can come well, up with a scheme yes it, it it's what's really interesting is that is that the first time i encountered this notion of of needing to prove that I'm human. It's like, oh, what an interesting, kind of cool problem. Right. And and your first thought, my first thought, you know, as a computer guy, and you know, any of us are to some degree, well, to to probably a complete degree, computer users. Any user sort of thinks, huh, how would I solve this problem? And at first it doesn't seem to be such a hard problem. It's like, well, it's gotta be easy to figure out the difference between a computer and a human but it turns out it's less easy than people might think because so much of of the sorts of things that are feasible to do computers can be programmed to to get around so this notion of of a of of some way to solve this problem turns out to actually have a deep history which is sort of interesting. There was something known as the Turing test, T-U-R-I-N-G, um, which was originally proposed uh, by a, a an early researcher in computers named Alan Turing, who was also the father, in some senses, of modern, modern computing, or, or at least of algorithms. Um, he because, also helped crack Enigma, the German code-breaking device. Yes, uh, device exactly. World he War worked. He he worked he worked at Bletchley uh, Place or is it Plaza or Place Bletchley Place, Place. Yeah. Um, um, in, um, over in England and was was involved in the code breaking of the German Enigma code uh, during World War Two and 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 he was well first of all he was recognized at a young age as being a genius brilliant and, guy brilliant yes, guy yeah he he really is regarded as that he. He tackled the question of computability that was what what did it mean for something to be computable and that is to be to have like an an algorithmic solution and in fact he formally laid down this notion of an algorithm and the 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 formal or the, the formalization of it took the form of something called a Turing machine which he formally proposed and laid out in a in a paper that he wrote early on. Couldn't and I mean, be, couldn't it couldn't be built at the time in the forties. Well, and in fact, it's more of a theoretical machine. Right. There, I mean, people have built them for fun, but the idea of of a touring machine is that it it, it sort of using the Bletchley, jargon. Blatchley Park, by the way. Blatchley oh, Park. That's right. Park. Yeah. Right. Um, using the the. the um, the the concepts at the time the idea of, of of alan's touring machine was that you'd have a a paper tape which was theoretically infinite in length it had a starting place but it never ended because you know this thing in order to do useful work might have to have a very long tape because the idea was that it was a series of very simple steps, and you basically you had a reed head that was positioned at some location on the tape, and each cell in the tape could contain only a one or a zero. So he had this notion of binariness back then, and based on oh, and and the machine also had some state, so it had a well-defined state which was. You know, not, not specified, but it was you know just some number of, of bits or something that, that defined the current state. And, and he, the way he defined it was you, would, you, you had the current position of the head, w- which, was, which was able to read or write to a, a one or a zero to the cell, and then cause the tape to move to the left or the right, and change the state, that is, update the state to, you know, state plus one. And, you know, that basically that was the definition of this machine. And he managed, through a series of, of very careful mathematical proofs, to show that this machine could solve any problem that any computer could solve. And, and in fact, there was something known yeah. as the... At the time, a computer was a human.
0: Exactly. It was a, It was a woman usually who was doing computations so he's right. talking about a machine that replaces a human computer basically
1: right and then and then there was this notion of the utm the universal touring machine where he said okay you could define a machine on the tape which on the tape would then be followed by a problem and so this created oh, this notion of, of a universal Turing machine because you could then you could use it as like a universal emulator right. for any other machine. So you know he basically said, okay, you know this is how computers can be simplified you know d- down to this. Well amid all of this actually toward the end of his life which wasn't very long unfortunately um he only lived didn't quite make it to the age of 42 so he was quite prolific during his first 41 years um he ended up saying okay thinking about intelligence what if if how can we determine if a machine is intelligent how do we define intelligence and he had a you know a very 1940s, 19 early 1950s definition. He said, and this was the so-called Turing test. He said, if if you put a human in one room and a machine in another, and you ask them both questions, if uh, that is a human being asks both of them questions but doesn't know which room contains the human and which room contains the machine, that is to say the the, the AI, the artificial intelligence, if the person asking the questions cannot reliably determine which room contains which entity, then that is said to pass the Turing test for determining whether this is a machine or a human. So again, it's it's a sort of a thought experiment. It's a simple formulation for for asking the question, but but that that's you know deep in the history of computing. Uh, just so, a couple of footnotes
0: on that on intelligence. He'll talk about. You haven't gotten there yet, but he talks about the Turing test and why it's essentially will never be solved. Uh, that's kind of, in some ways, the premise of on intelligence.
1: Well, I think he also talks about John Searle's uh, Chinese Room, yes, uh, yes, which is uh, thought experiment, yeah, also. Yeah. Which, are, anyway, there's a bunch of stuff in in this book that I really recommend to to our listeners. So, As a second footnote before you go on, I, I just yeah.
0: uh, it, appropriate to mention, uh, and it's very sad that he, in fact, committed suicide after being prosecuted for being gay. I know and it's just a great tragedy. I, I won't belabor it, but read his read the article on Wikipedia about Alan Turing's life, and there's some excellent books on Turing and uh, he actually appears in cryptonomicon another favorite book of ours uh, Yes he does you right yeah, I forgot about yeah, that Yeah that's Berkeley Park is a big uh, part of that whole book so But anyway so that Turing test is uh is 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 the first case of a challenge human machine challenge I guess
1: Well it is and it it bears on what we're talking about because the rather lengthy acronym for the whole class of of currently most popular approaches to to differentiating people from computers, that is, you know, who you are or, or are you a who, um, is it, it involves this Turing test phrase. What happened is about seven years ago in 2000, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, a, a researcher there, Lewis von on and and for elaine's sake who's transcribing this von on <laughs> is two words v-o-n and the second word is a h-n um he got serious about captchas or or and and actually that's their acronym and believe it or not carnegie Mellon has a trademark on the word CAPTCHA. Really? it's an acronym um, See, it's, it's an
0: acronym. c-a-p-t-c-h-a i always thought it was just capture mispronounced
1: <laughs> but well get this The C-A-P-T-C-H-A stands for Completely Automated Public Turing Test to Tell Computers and Humans Apart. I'll be danged. So Alan Turing is memorialized
0: in the CAPTCHA.
1: Yes and now people know if, if anyone has the you know the memory to remember completely automated public touring <laughs> test to tell computers and humans apart now you know what a touring test is right. and wh- who touring was right, right. who who came up with this test so that's what CAPTCHA stands for and uh, and the the university car, uh, CMU, has a trademark which they're obviously you know, not being jealous about. I'm sure they trademarked it so that, you know, because they had come up with it, they thought it was cool, and they wanted, you know, some credit for it, but not to prevent others from using the word because it's widely used and no one seems to be, you know, right. no, no one from CMU seems to be causing any um, upset about that. So so the, the most familiar captures, and I, I would imagine by this point, Everyone around, that is to say, everyone listening to this podcast has encountered some. You and I have, in fact, talked about them from time to time briefly in prior podcasts, Leo, where they're these wacky looking images where you are asked to basically decipher a warped and deliberately obscured chunk of text or letters and numbers or something. You're asked basically to solve some sort of problem, the idea being that this is something that would be easy for humans and hard for computers. Well, it turns out that computers have gotten so good that in order for it to be hard for computers, unfortunately, more often not, it also has to be hard for people. Right. Unfortunately. And, yeah. And, you know, and I mean, I have encountered captures, you know, visual captures that I have not been able to properly enter the, you know, the proper code for, which is, you know, really annoying. You know, <laughs> I it do makes... it all the time.
0: You know, I have a lot of difficulty with digs. They, I just sometimes cannot read digs at all. They invoke the captcha If you try to enter your password and fail once, then they
1: want to make sure you're
0: not a machine.
1: Okay, that sort of makes sense. Yeah. In fact in fact, one of the things I want to talk about here is this notion of the cost of captures because because it it's very interesting. Um I wanna make sure that people know that the show notes for this episode has a bunch of links. Um uh, Wikipedia has an excellent page on CAPTCHAS, lots of coverage, lots of good references. Mm-hmm. Um and on the show notes for this episode, episode one oh one, um, I found some interesting captcha cracking sites that oh. have really good really good technology for and, and 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 pictures of many popular captchas showing you know basically what it is about them that that isn't hard enough and there are there are some captchas that are have solved at 100% some at 88 or 89 meaning that algorithms have been created which are specifically designed to you know crack the visual complexity that people have put into these things in order to make in order to again differentiate between human and computer the problem of course is that as i said this is the this is the best set of of puzzles or problems that we've so far been able to come up with but the problem is computers have gotten so powerful and so good that it there's a very fuzzy line between computer and human. Um, looking at these these capture cracking sites, um, and and specifically at the at the complaints the authors of these crackers have, they say, for example, using a constant font or even a small number of fonts allowed them to do a better job of cracking the capture. Interesting, huh? Or, or using all aligned or almost aligned characters, allowed them to sort of, you know, analyze the characters and lock on to the, the relative alignment, and that was a, an aid to them. Huh. Or using constant character position. There are some CAPTCHA generators that, that produce images where the characters are like sca- scattered around, but they're always scattered around in exactly the same location uh-huh, uh-huh. from one capture to the next. So, somebody trying to deliberately crack a capture protected site would take advantage of the fact that, yeah, the characters are all kind of, you know, cattywampus, but they're always in the same cattywampus position. So, once the author of a cracker saw that by looking at several captchas being generated by that site they'd go oh well sure and, and and what's interesting is there's a perfect example of a mistake by the capture maker because here you've made it really more difficult for the human but because, because you know we're just encountering that capture probably once but here a spammer it's has essentially what you've done is you've made it harder for the human by scattering the characters around but someone cracking the capture writing code to crack it once they recognize that they that the characters are always in exactly the same position with the same orientation well you've made it no more difficult for the code while making it by, while keeping it difficult for the human so that was you know a Very bad idea yeah not, not to move them around. Also, um, constant horizontal position, uh, constant character rotation, no deformation, non-textured background, the uh, use of constant colors or weak colors. That's easier than for the uh, for the cracking author to lock onto, and uh, or no overall perturbation of the image. So, essentially, what this means is that everything. That is being done to make these things difficult for us. Does to some varying degree make it difficult for a program? But unfortunately, we're seeing now that captures are to some degree being able to be broken. Now, other sites have analyzed what it is that is that is the most difficult for computers to solve, and that is in terms of cracking these images. And it turns out that dividing the individual glyphs you know glyph is the is the font term for an individual character essentially so dividing these these images into individual characters is something that that we do pretty well but that's one of the problems that computers have and so for example running lines through the characters really does Bump the level of difficulty for for automated recognition of the characters up rather rather substantially, um, and so one of the things you will see in the most modern CAPTCHA technologies are are words or phrases or le, uh, sequences of letters and numbers which end up being obscured with lines running through them. Um, and maybe not so much other wacky stuff that makes it really difficult for people. I mean, again, Leo, I'm I run across captures where I'm thinking, okay, am I going to be punished if I get this wrong? Be- because I don't know if this is a Q right. or a bent over R. I mean, but, but you make an interesting point that sometimes what's hard for a human is actually not hard for a machine. Right. It's exactly. It's not always the case that yeah. that, that it, you know. That what someone you know, a clever programmer has actually done something that that is making it more difficult for a machine because what you're generally having and this is a function of value which is one of the key points I want to make today also is you know the capture pre- protecting Yahoo because Yahoo is a has a high cracking value you might very well have somebody who is willing to spend a great deal of time and effort. Writing a Yahoo CAPTCHA cracking technology, whereas you know some obscure, off the beaten path blogging site, which has which has never. Has has never had a problem with with malicious posting to it. Well, putting an extreme captcha on that site it's extreme. is extreme. <laughs> is extreme exactly? You you know you here you're hoping somebody is going to put a comment on your blog posting. Well, raising the bar up too high for that poor human who's like okay do i have to stand on my head in order to decrypt this you know what is this captcha trying to say i have you know? to say though it's so frustrating when you get spammed that
0: sometimes you just say screw it i don't care if it's hard for humans i just i'm not going to let the spammer in right I mean, you would, you wouldn't believe on i actually have turned off registrations on TWIT tv because these guys will go to the go to the extreme trouble of creating a, a, an email account Signing up, waiting for me to send them the password via the verified email account, Uh. and then spamming. So it's very, you know, it's a lot of effort they're putting in. um, And it's, you know, compared to how hard it is for me to block them, it's not very hard for me to block them. I just have to constantly be doing it. And I finally just gave up. They were so uh, relentless. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand why people might put really difficult
1: captures. Well, there have been some very, very clever hacks and i think one of my very favorite clever most clever hacks and and this was done as a proof of concept actually by somebody at cmu who was working sort of on 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 the on the opposition team i mean he was on the side of cmu and and these have been you know major capture innovators over the years and we're going to talk about a recent very cool concept that they came out with but 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 in any, you know, in any environment, you want somebody trying to break your solution. And, you know, in the academic environment, th- there were some people who said, uh, I know how to break the whole CAPTCHA system. What they did was they they created or maybe they just borrowed or used. But anyway, there was an adult website that had very high traffic. And what they did was they they created a system which would would for um, imagine going to yahoo and wanting to create an account you're presented with a captcha on the fly this bot took that captcha and stuck it ad, on, on the login page on the adult website where a human would solve the captcha problem oh, no. so the bot would then take the human solution and feed it back to yahoo Thus solving Yahoo's original capture problem, isn't that just the cleverest
0: thing? I so just they, they they basically used unwitting human helpers. Yes, um,
1: by just borrowing Yahoo's captures and keeping track of them exactly they I mean th- there was enough traffic on the site that uh, that is on the adult website that no capture would remain unsolved for long wow. and so it fit within the window of time that Yahoo was allowing that capture to be valid so on the fly Yahoo captures would be or, or or you know I would imagine the way it would work is this you would actually be you know I'm just Thinking of this on the fly here, um, you would actually have your bot on the adult website, Um, and oh no, I was going to say you you would you would wait till they were presented with a puzzle, or maybe yes, the 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 you 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 go to the adult website and it says click here to log in, right? And meanwhile, goes out to Yahoo and gets a a capture exactly. When the person on the adult website clicks here to log in, it's about to present him with a capture. So the bot goes to Yahoo. Clicks to create an account, receives the captcha, forwards it to the adult site that then presents that captcha to the human who solves the captcha problem, and then the bot turns around, solves the problem on Yahoo, and is able to create an email account. So I just, you know, that's uh, that's super clever, and I just thought that was, you know, a it's neat also, solution. It's also depressing because it really, really means it's hopeless. I don't yeah, know how you exactly. get around like, that. I mean,
0: yeah, exactly. Now what are we going to do? Now what do we do? Yeah because you yes. essentially i mean there's you can't get around the fact that they can enlist humans as long as they're willing to enlist humans to do this
1: yes exactly and 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 that by the way is known uh, in the captcha community as the so-called relay attack where where you're relaying the captcha through a site where you've got enough traffic in order to you know to generate a useful number of of captcha solution events on the fly and again you know what are you going to do about it now Captcha is a little bit controversial also, and I have a link on our show notes to the W3Cs, you know, the, the, the W3 Consortium's anti-Captcha page. It's, it's, they just don't like Captcha because they feel that it, it very unfairly discriminates against people who have any kind of disabilities and you know they're all about and they want the web to be all about being a non-discriminatory system and 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 they make the point that even if you have and you talked about this before leo the the, the notion of an audio capture that is the the idea being your your main captcha is a visual capture where you've got to figure out what this phrase or expression is but for blind people, of course, they're not going to be able to do that, so you have a backup solution, which is you know click on F- this to hear something I'm, some, on, I'm F- gonna play
0: this is the one J-
1: this is P- this is uh Diggs
0: F- that you know the truth was that wasn't i wouldn't think a machine would have that much trouble
1: well F, in- F- J T. P-
0: it's actually easier than doing it looking at it. I'm going to use the listen to it from now on. It actually is. <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 I played the I played the Carnegie Mellon for you before. You want to hear that one? Sure. This is the this is the audio uh, attempt uh, uh to to make uh, an audio version of a captcha. Or Four that would be tough for a machine.
1: Was that 416? I guess. <laughs> I think. And, and and see here's the problem is that we also have speech recognition. I mean, we've been working on that for a long time in this you know in the computer community in the same way that we've been working on optical character recognition and 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 vision technologies. So, unfortunately, the the audio so the audio backup for the visual capture also has to be deliberately obscured in order to make it, again, difficult for a computer. And unfortunately, there just isn't enough difference today between computer recognition of audio and human recognition of audio for this to be a really great solution. But the W3C page makes the point that even doing this discriminates because it's a privacy problem. Now you're forcing blind people, uh, you know, people who are not sighted, to, to declare themselves as such on a site, And you could argue that that is some loss of privacy because they're not able to solve the visual captcha. They're being forced to solve the auditory captcha. Anyway, the I'm not sure. The, I I think that's going. I, that's a little scrupulous. I, but I know. I know. But but it, the, the 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 W3C page does does. It's it, it's very anti captcha and it has uh, it makes a number of points. I of be, which- I would be more aggressive in defending CAPTCHA, but it sounds like from what you've just described, it
0: doesn't work that well anyway, or doesn't necessarily work that well. So maybe it's not worth defending.
1: Well, there are problems with it. Now, one of the coolest things you turned me on to a couple of weeks ago, you just sent me a link in email, Leo. And you said, isn't this neat? And it is just, again, I, I love clever stuff and I love sharing cleverness with people. And this, of course, is known as reCAPTCHA. Um, the, and this, again, is from uh uh, it's from our same guy van van i forgot his name Von, van on. on van on yep. at 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 cmu he recognized that there's a huge effort underway to to digitize books we are wanting to get books into digital form rather than just scanning them and then like presenting scanned pages people can read scanned pages more or less the problem is that a scanned page is a huge amount of data compared to a typewritten page. And if we actually have it converted to text, then it could be ebook. it can be, you know, y- you can use text-to-speech in order to automate the process of, of reading the book audibly. I mean, it's just so much cooler to have these books in electronic form. I mean, in textual, you know, ASCII-style electronic form, as opposed to scanned images. But many books were published, well, I'm, I'm sure it's probably most books, were published before we had the technology to do it all electronically. So we just, there is no original, you know, doc file or text file to back up these books. So here we've got this huge archive of scanned images. Well, the cleverness of recapture is of using um, single word snippets from scanned texts and presenting those to users. So in the process of solving the CAPTCHA puzzle, you are part of the solution of digitizing these books. I just think it's so elegant. And by the way, I use
0: that uh, if people want to send me emails, so I have the same. I, here's an example of why you might want to use a CAPTCHA. I'm not going to put an email link on my front page, although at this point it's pretty moot since I think I'm on every spam mailing list in the world. But I thought, well, why why make it any worse? So I do have a contact link, but in order to get the email address, you have to fill out a CAPTCHA. And I'm using the CMU CAPTCHA. Uh, so if you go to leoville.com or techguylabs.com and you click contact Leo, you'll get a CAPTCHA. And in the process, so do you want to describe how it works? It's very cool. There's two words you get.
1: Yes. Um, what they do is they, they they show you two words. These are both. The, these were both. They're both, rec- English, words. They both English words. They're both English words. They were also originally flagged as unrecognizable by the OCR software. So the these nice- are,
0: these are books they're trying to scan, but they've had some trouble with.
1: Well, exa- well, these are individual words from books they've tried mm-hmm, to scan. Mm-hmm. W- one, of, one of the cool things about OCR, contemporary OCR software, is it knows if it's not sure. That is, it knows if it's like, eh, I really don't feel confident. You, know, you, uh, you, you now get a confidence factor per word from OCR software, or at least the, this particular OCR software that's being used. So, So here's the cool thing. The word starts out as being unrecognizable with high confidence by the best OCR software we have. So that's a good start at something which you know, no one else's OCR software is going to be able to recognize either. Then it is deliberately warped, and a wavy line is run through it. And as we learned, a wavy line cause, it now means that instead of having little islands of, of glyph, which are easily identified and then can be, be, be chopped up and recognized individually, this turns it into one big blob of black, and it turns out that it really hurts recognition, but not for humans. Humans don't have a problem with that. And so the idea then is that two words are presented to you, and you're asked to type them both in. Well, you're not the only person who receives this pair of words, Enough people receive different combinations of them that by comparing what people put in, the, 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 the back-end software that is doing all this is able to arrive at a high enough confidence level that, you know, I don't know what their numbers are, but maybe 10 people all put in the same text for each of each of the two words appearing in at, at different times, in different contexts and in different pairs that they finally said, OK, we now know for sure what this word is. So not only have you proven yourself to be human, but you've also helped OCR software digitize books.
0: And they think it's just so
1: cool. I love it. In fact, and if,
0: even if I didn't even if I didn't really need it, I would still use it. Just to do my yeah. part, right?
1: <laughs> yes. And now, six, it is estimated that 60 million CAPTCHAs are currently, visual captures are currently being solved by humans every day. Wow. And that about 10 seconds or so of of time is required for the typical CAPTCHA to be looked at and, and, and typed in. Well, that's a lot of computing okay. time. So 10 seconds times 60 Holy million uh, a day is 600 million thought seconds per day, which is to say 166 plus 1,000 hours. Jeez. So 166,000 hours are being spent now solving CAPTCHAs each day. each day. So by using reCAPTCHA, that can be turned into 166,000 hours of people distributed over the entire world digitizing books. I think that's great.
0: I would Which love to key. see what the results are so far with this project. I think that's just wonderful.
1: So we absolutely I want to commend people to to take a look at recaptcha. It's just www if you go to capture.net www.captcha.net, it now recommends recaptcha and recaptcha is just the same with an RE on the front of it. Trivially and,
0: easy to add to a website. You just you'll generate it, it'll create a link and, uh, and boom, it's done. And by the way, they talk about the pornography attack and the other, uh, this is really interesting how they're doing it. They point to a lot of the information that you've been
1: talking about. Right. Now, one other, you know, there are other things that have been done, um, in general solving uh, that, that is to say have been done as non visual means or, or non, you know, non captcha well i guess captcha actually w- would encompass everything because it's 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 a computer blah 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 whatever that acronym was <laughs> but you know so anything that is trying to differentiate a person from a computer so we have you know the visual captchas we've been talking about but for example you could imagine some sort of puzzle solving solution there has been javascript created which asked simple english language problems like what is you know one plus one as a trivial example? The problem is again it wouldn't be hard to cause a computer to to f- have a you know there'd be a, there'd be a limited enough vocabulary of permutations of questions that different numbers would get plugged into that you could write some code that would you know understand that limited subset of questions and be able to answer them so that 's not very exciting. Um, then, and you mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before, there was this interesting notion of something called kitten-off. kitten auth. <laughs> kitten auth was created a couple years ago. The idea was it would show you a grid of photos, right. some of which were kittens, and you'd have to select those which were kittens and then click OK. The idea, again, being that only a person would be able to actually recognize what this was a photo of and whether or not it was a kitten uh, and and be able to answer correctly, and uh, the the there again the problem is you would have a limited number of pictures, and given somebody who who was motivated enough to crack this form of capture, they would simply you know capture all the pictures, flag them as kittens or non kittens, and then be able to hack right through. <laughs> so that's not going to work very well. Right. Um, and the other thing is that CMU comments that that actually isn't a captcha by their definition they want it to be a fully automated creation that is you're having to take actual photos and that you're going to have a limited database of those you're not actually synthesizing something from scratch which is what these visual um, you know alphanumeric captchas are doing is they're they're building the image from scratch and you don't have a limited domain of images from which to choose or again that would be very easy To hack, so then another thing that's been has been suggested is somehow involve live operators, where you know you 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 involve a human in the loop, sort of hearkening back to the original Turing test, where you did have a human making the determination. and then there's there's a whole domain of what we were talking about when we were talking about multi-factor authentication, where you have specific ID authentication. That is, you're not just you no longer determining um, whether the person, an anonymous person, is a person or a human, but you're saying you know you're using single sign-on, you're using authentication like Open ID or Card Space or something to to say okay you know this is exactly who you are. Maybe you're using, uh, you know, public key infrastructure for, for, for doing, for example, you know, you using um, certificate authentication or biometrics. So it's like, okay, you know, computers don't have thumbprints, although you can certainly imagine that computers could just create a fake thumbprint. So, you know, those things seem, you know, not so useful, That that, that is, but, you know, they, they've been experimented with. And then there's also, you know… Simple questions being asked, you know, variations on, you know, like five words and and the question is, you know, which one of these does not have a sale? And the problem, again, is you're probably going to have a limited number of questions, which after a while, all of those can be automated in order to, to crack the response. So it turns out that this is a hard problem. Like I said, it's you think right off the bat, the first time you encounter is it, like, oh, how interesting. Shouldn't it be easy to tell people and humans apart but over an internet connection it's not so easy (laughs) not so easy yeah very clever right now and then and then when you add this notion of a relay attack where you've got people solving the same problem for a different reason then it's like oh very clever and now what do we do yeah yeah
0: well, they claim it, that the recapture is not susceptible to that. I'm not sure what I haven't read it, so I'm not sure what that um,
1: they've got a bunch of crypto, uh, of crypto involved, where they use multiple servers, and you are it's all free, but you you get some some tags that you use as part of this, and so they are specifically working to eliminate to to eliminate to eliminate, eliminate. and and limit. <laughs> I was trying to say eliminate and or limit the you know that vulnerability. Yeah, very interesting. Well, that's uh, captures.
0: That's how to tell if you're a human. Are you human? Hmm. If you are a human, you probably want to be uh, a nerd. Guess what I ha- I did the other day when I was flying into Vancouver. I got, I got met at the airport by Craig and George and uh, oh who else? Um, oh, I can't remember the Mike and uh, Tamara, I think. I got a whole team. I was met by four nerd mobiles. <laughs> I felt like the president. It was the strangest convoy Coming from the Vancouver airport into town,
1: four nerd mobiles. And we ought to explain that for those who haven't seen them. These are bright orange VW beetles. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. In fact, somewhere there's a and I'm hoping Craig or somebody will send me the pictures of me in this nerd mobile because we took some shots. It was pretty funny. Anyway, it was very nice to meet them all. We had a great time. Uh, and I, I talked a little bit about Craig, about why he is, um, uh, working with nerds on site. I want to be a nerd.com is the address. And by the way, they are sponsors of this show and have been for some time now. Um, the idea of nerds on site is very clever. So Craig, uh, is, has been doing this for a long time as an independent consultant, an IT consultant. He'll go and help big corporations and little, uh, and sometimes even individuals with their networks, with their configuration and so forth. That's his particular skill. And I said, well, you know, you've been doing it by yourself. Why did you decide to work with Nerds? Is it a franchise? He said, No, it's not. It's a, it's different than that. They provide you with a lot of marketing and business support, but it's still your business. You drive the Nerdmobile, but it's great marketing. You get a lot of business out of them. He said, I just, it's just been really great for me. He's been a nerd for a couple of years now. They're all over the world. Canada, yes, Vancouver. Uh, Toronto. In fact, I think it started in Ontario, but uh, province. But it's now in the U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, and Bolivia, and other countries too. When something's a good idea like this, it just spreads. Nerds are independent contractors. You're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. That the idea is you focus on your passion, not the burdens of running a business. And by the way, uh, nerds is a broad definition. You could be a PC, a Mac expert. You could have specialties like Cisco, Cisco or Oracle fix it website designers programmers project managers even sales trainers security experts antivirus gurus all of that and and you can learn more too because they've got their university of nerdology with 250 competencies from systems architecture design to software development to on-site it desk support desktop support uh soho residential it services everything Broaden your business base, get more work, but do less of the stuff you don't want to do. That's what I like. Find out more by going to IWantToBeANerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. And thanks to the nerds who made me a hero in Vancouver. We, we, all, we all pulled up in front of the hotel. It was the funniest darn thing you've ever seen. And <laughs> the nerdmobiles, I tell you, it's just great. It was just really great. And they are nerds, by the way. They were all in communication with each other via um bluetooth and uh, their cell phones oh my god so they're <laughs> it was like uh, boy. it was like i felt like uh you know it was a con it was like a convoy out of star wars you know red leader red leader uh we have we have the target acquired we, we have leo we, we have acquired leo. leo it
1: was really really funny okay anyway. leo now you got to do this uh http colon uh, https colon slash slash www.paypal.com slash security key. Ah, okay. See if that comes up for you. I put in, while, while, while you were talking about the, the nerds on site, I put in PayPal security key into Google. It's the first link that comes up. Okay. Because this is just so cool for five bucks. And it just, I mean, $5 Oh, there have. it is, yeah.
0: All yeah. All right,
1: order your security
0: key. I don't know why it's not showing up on my front page, but uh, that's great. Oh, I got to log in. All right. And uh, I'm so now. You use this every time you use PayPal now.
1: Yeah, and I forgot to mention also eBay. It provides security for oh. eBay as well. Yeah, because they're owned by the
0: same. See, five yes. bucks, what a deal! I'm sending it right uh, now.
1: I know five dollars. Yeah. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to have one of these cool crypto tokens for five dollars? Anyway, I just. I want to make sure people knew because then after you authenticate this to your account, you simply add and you must add those six digits, the six digits that currently shows to the end of your password, that's in brilliant. order to log on to and uh, to PayPal or eBay. And uh, it's I'm just so that's just, jazzed. That's about just brilliant. This. Well, we use PayPal
0: heavily, and uh, and I, I I am always a little nervous because I keep, you know, I keep all of our receipts from the Twit Network in there and uh i'm almost using it as a banking account because you you earn interest on it so i feel like well that's a safe place to keep it but boy they we could be wiped out if i if i weren't careful with the password so this makes yep. me feel a lot lot better it is safer now yeah because for instance our uh, our hosting uh, draws directly from that account all of the, all of our overhead pretty much comes directly from that account so if it were to suddenly go to zero balance uh
1: <laughs> I don't. Well, want, and, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I, I would. I, I would not want to encourage people to create a bogus PayPal account just to get a five dollar no. token. but <laughs> no. you could. You, and you could. It,
0: it's very cool. Well, you know, if you uh, if you're gonna, uh, uh, here's a way to do it: make a donation to Twit. as As part of that, you could set up an account. You don't have to tie it to your bank account. You can use a credit card, so you don't have to feel like you're, you know, somehow giving them something private. I think that's one thing that scares people. Uh, just sign up. Give us a little donation. Help the podcast to stay afloat. And uh, and then your little benefit is you get that $5 security key. And be more yeah. secure. I like it. It's, it's, it's just too cool. Yeah. You know, I just ordered it.
1: Cool. All right, Steve. Boy, this is a long episode. We had a lot mail to bag. say. Mailbag is next week. So I want to again say security now at com. Okay. That is mail that comes directly to me through no spam filtering or anything else. I... Uh, the, fo- the web form at the bottom of the Security Now page at grc.com sends email to the same address. Uh, it does so anonymously unless you provide, you know, your name and location and email and so forth, which does allow me to re- to respond when I'm able to, and I'd like to when I can. But anyone who just wants to do an easier way can just send email to securitynow at GRC.com. Excellent, and we'll do mailbag next week. Excellent. All right, Steve, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us
0: on Security Now. Security Now.